Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. In this episode, we will be discussing the design process behind designing a political campaign for an individual and the process designing for an organization. We go in-depth on digital strategy, interactive design, and website development, and how those different disciplines fit into the entire project. Today's guests are Marnie Pike and Mike Brophy. Marnie Pike is the Chief Operating Officer and Senior Digital Strategist at Veracity Media. Marnie hails from New York's North Country. After venturing even further north to study at McGill University and focusing on international issues through work abroad, Marnie got involved in domestic politics by jumping on a U.S. congressional race. Marnie's experience on the campaign trail sparked her interest in the influence new media can play in outreach, organizing, and policy. At Veracity, she enjoys pursuing her interest in digital strategy while promoting causes she deeply supports. Mike Brophy is the creative director at Veracity Media. Mike came to Veracity after a short stint working as a freelance designer and videographer. In 2012, he worked on the Obama for America digital team in Ohio, which jump-started his interest in the political and nonprofit worlds. He recently received degrees in audio and video production from Indiana University and in 2014 expanded his design, video, photography, and political organizing skills on a Senate race in Iowa. Mike loves the melding of all things technical and creative and the challenge of applying these in aesthetically pleasing and logical ways. Originally from outside of Philadelphia, he is excited to now call D.C. his home. Welcome, Marnie and Mike. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were, you were able to make time for this. So before we get into more specific questions about design, could you talk a little bit about Veracity Media, uh, specifically the type of clients you work with? You seem to have a very specific niche, and, and it's one that I have never really seen before. Yeah, absolutely. So Veracity, we're a pretty young team, and I would say most, for the most part, all pretty progressive individuals. Um, so we we tend to work with clients that we are interested in working with. So we specialize in political campaigns and nonprofit advocacy for the most part. Um, we're based in D.C., so that's you know kind of the world that we live in here, um, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so the types of clients that, that we work with, it's usually progressive political campaigns, um, issue-based campaigns, and then um, we have a history of working on a lot of women's empowerment initiatives, um, you know, from, from the very beginning of, of the work that we've been doing in, um, in around 2014, working with a lot of women candidates, um, and then that kind of turned into working with um, more women's organizations that are working to get more women elected. Um, so, so definitely more progressive issues, although, you know, fortunately the women's empowerment initiatives is not uh, necessarily a partisan one, um, which is, which is great. <laughs> yes. um, 
but yeah, so so mostly political campaigns and nonprofit advocacy. Um, we've worked with a few higher level campaigns, Senate campaigns, um, congressional campaigns, but then we also work with a lot of more local campaigns because we see that that's really where the digital can make the difference and they have that competitive advantage where on the larger races, you know, that's just kind of a given that the digital is going to be a part of the process and a part of the campaign. But on the more local level, um, we can kind of have a, a bigger impact since maybe the other side doesn't have as fancy of a website or branding doesn't have online ads. So, so we also try to make a difference um, there and help, you know, people tell their stories online. Great. Um, <laughs> and I just want to point out for the, I'm, I, this is just a follow-up question for the, for the audience. Um, so I wouldn't, you're actually, I mean, so you're making a living doing this. Like so the, the argument is like, well, there's just not enough of that. Like, philanthropic kind of feel good work out there to to make a living so you're you obviously are yes i i would beg to differ um, <laughs> yes so so a lot of um, we're a little bit unique because we are a hybrid firm we do the digital strategy consulting but then we also do the the design and development of not just the development um, of websites but we create tools for campaigns to use um, and mike is our creative director and does awesome branding work so we do everything from branding to building their online presence and then leading that um, so, you know, a lot of firms that do similar work don't do the website side of things. Um, and they also kind of stick to either the political campaigns or they work with the issue-based campaigns. Um, and that requires a lot of kind of cyclical hiring and we avoid that. Um, so, so we've found that by working, you know, merging those two areas and not just working with large campaigns, but working with more local ones, um, that there is a, there's a lot of, of folks to work with. Um, and especially given the election year, uh, a lot of nonprofits um, have kind of had more of a lobbying advocacy arm pop up. Um, and I'm sure you can imagine that since November 8th, that has grown significantly um, and a lot of those those issue-based campaigns and, and nonprofits that are working on more progressive issues um, funding has been streaming and because people are now realizing maybe these things are threatened um, so so it's sort of a, a silver lining to a something that to us was <laughs> a, concerning a very, issue. Yes. yeah very concerning <laughs> Uh, but to build on that, in all those areas, um, are, you know, I feel like are, are ripe for um, good design and, um, you know, the, the sort of um, easier to understand um, just approach that like solid typography can can allow you to have and, and uh, you know, someone paying attention to uh, information architecture and, and hierarchy, um, all those things. Um, there's, there's a lot of room for improvement in a lot of those areas. So that's something I find exciting. Yeah. And this is a follow-up question that I didn't ask you and I didn't think about beforehand that Marnie's, um, when she was describing the, you know, like November 8th, everything changed and now we're seeing a proliferation of orgs and all these other things that are starting to come up. And some of them are fake. <laughs> so now that we've got this proliferation of positive orgs and some of them are fake, um, what do you do? I mean, do you have any like advice or any kind of things like that you think like how can we distinguish between a real org and a fake org? Because um, some of them are, I mean, some of these things that are popping up are, 
you know, pretty visually sophisticated that I wouldn't think to, you know, fact check right away. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, well, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I haven't heard of fake organizations quite Swing yet. Swing left. Oh, okay. I, well. <laughs> check it out. <laughs> well, I, I have heard of Swing Left, um, but I guess <laughs> to what veracity when we are looking for clients or most of our clients come, people refer folks to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, we have, you know, friends or people on our network or previous clients who have been working with these organizations for a while, or it's, you know, someone in our network is starting a nonprofit. So we know that it's legitimate. So fortunately, um, we have not run into an issue, um, with a fake organization yet, but we definitely do our research. Um, mm-hmm. and a, we have, many conversations with folks before we we start working with them because like we mentioned before we like to make sure that we're working on on issues and for candidates that we really support because that makes everyone's work a lot better and more meaningful all right so this is another off-topic question before we get started you know like on the design aspect of things is i noticed that you use the nation builder cms for a lot of your clients site and so designing for a cms i mean at least to me from when i been doing it has been problematic in that designs tend to look the same. And I don't mean because that there's only a few different templates that you make, rather because each CMS has its own unique makeup that can be limiting to developers trying to implement the designs. Um, So how do you overcome this? So, uh, yes, we, we, we tend to use, or we have used, um, nation builder for a good chunk of our projects, although we've, um, been transitioning more to a WordPress, uh, workflow just because of the, um, uh, flexibility that allows, um, Mm -hmm. but nation builder is, is great for some things and not so great at other things. It's, it's, um, one of the few CMSs where it's like a one-stop shop for um, fundraising and communication and, um, you know, like f- forms and volunteer signups and that kind of thing. Um, but from a technical side, it has a lot of shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there's not a lot of control over um, the development side of things in the back end and what you can, what you can give to users to... Um, you know, and by users, I mean clients to, mm-hmm. to update. Um, so the, so there's a few, you know, technical limitations that, um, basically like there's only a few areas where, uh, it can be a user and ent- like enterable headline field or, or body text field. So we have to sort of work around that. And, um, it's really just like becoming um, intimately familiar with Nation Builder and all of its little quirks and learning how to uh, hack around things that might not have been intended but are still possible. Uh, like one um, little feature that I know we've implemented is um, for one of our emails, uh, so Nation Builder has like, they've, they've decided that three buttons, three action buttons are, are really important and that's somehow across the entire site. Um, and we don't use those for most things, but we somehow leveraged a way to make the button appear. So it was, uh, loading the most recent blog posts. It was essentially just functioning as a, as a variable. Uh, and we used the button in a very hacky way to load the most recent blog post into an email. Uh, and that's not possible with like vanilla nation builder, you know, it was kind of a hacky way to do it. Um, so it's things like that, like, uh, learning to 
work around the restrictions of the system um, and, uh, you know, try to, as you said, try not to keep it um, feeling the same for every client and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I was wondering, like, and I was very specifically thinking about things like Nation Builder, Squarespace. Um, what are, uh, I can't think of another, you know, like proprietary online Shopify. I mean, they have their own sure, code base yeah. that you really can't go in and hack like you could with WordPress or right. run a plugin for. So, yeah, I was wondering how that. <laughs> sure. So, so those are two different, you know, there's a, it's kind of like templates versus a, a little bit of a custom. And we've done both for Nation Builder. So, like, there okay. are, you know, we, we have uh, prepackaged templates that, you know, we've, we've branded and um, it's basically like, you know, this is your look and feel. You get to plug in your logo and your fonts and your colors. Um, but basically the overall structure is there. Um, and that's obviously at a cheaper price point than um, yeah. a fully custom site where it's like, okay, we'll, we'll work with you on, on really fleshing out the, um, you know, visual elements of your brand. Um, like how should the buttons look uh, in accordance to your brand guides or, or um, what should the imagery be and, and what's the most... Like that's when we we allow ourselves to start think, thinking about uh, hierarchy and layout, um, and um, so so there's two different and, and Nation Builder does allow most of those things. Okay. Um, the fully custom side is uh, trickier to do technically, but it's still possible. Um, but it like out of the box Nation Builder the way they present it to it it is a lot like Squarespace where it's just like pick your theme name your organization, drop in your logo, and that's what you get. Um, so there is a lot of that, but also Nation Builder does allow for, for custom templating um, and not anywhere near the customization uh, level as WordPress, but um, probably more so than Squarespace. Yeah, okay. Um, so now onto the real questions. So can you talk about how you approach the project for an organization like Representation 2020 versus creating work for individuals like Sandra Fluke and Greg Orman. And I probably should just let the, the audience know Representation 2020 is an organization um, empowering women to, um, giving them tools to, to run for office and Sandra and Greg were actual to people who did run for office. So, and I'm asking this because on the surface, design is design, and you would think that the approach would be the same. But as I was sitting there thinking about it, I was wondering if, you know, creating a site for an organization versus an individual would require some kind of, you know, would it require different approaches? Yeah, sure. So the, the really the core difference there, uh, yeah, and obviously there are some similarities, but the core difference there is, or at least the way I approached it, is one essentially is promoting a person and the other is really promoting an idea. Uh, so for the campaign side of it, it's really promoting an individual, the candidate themselves. So, uh, and, and that, you know, probably impacts things like imagery choices more than typography choices as far as the, you know, nitty gritty differences there. Um, so for a campaign, what the, something that's crucial is you need to have their headshot somewhere above the fold. It needs to be something that everyone sees first because a candidate without a face is not a candidate at all. <laughs> and, um, you know, 
most people subconsciously or not, we, you know, we connect to other things emotively through eye contact. And even in still photographies, that eye contact is, is critical. Uh, so having, you know, the headshot, um, fairly high up is, is, um, exceedingly important for any kind of, um, candidate, uh, website and an organization, you know, might not have, uh, it, you know, some have, might have like a face to the organization, like a celebrity that gave their endorsement or, or other things. But um, most, at least the ones we've worked with, generally try to promote some idea, some, um, you know, ending uh, sexual violence on campus or, um, you know, raising awareness for the underrepresentation of women in elected office, which is Representation 2020. So it's more of a... Uh, and not to say there isn't, and there's a very important human element to that idea. So there should be still imagery of pictures, like you, you don't really, or sorry, imagery of, of people. You know, you wouldn't want it to be completely sterile and, and um, you know, non-human. Uh, but it's less so, it's more focused on um, creating this idea of a welcoming environment and a, a you know a friendly community of of you know like-minded individuals where you can have a the open conversation and get the information that you want um, and there's obviously a lot of similarities between all these things um, you know from one perspective good typography is good typography um, but from another um, you know what the auth authenticity of the typography is as it relates to the candidate or the organization does play an actual factor. Um, and there are some, uh, this is getting in a little bit of a tangent, but um, some certain candidates, there's actually, uh, and I noticed this in the 2016 election cycle, there's actually been a bit of a pushback from the general, um, just general populace on, on good design because it feels a little from a certain perspective if it's overly designed um which you, you could make the argument that uh the hillary campaign was you know that was very meticulously designed that was many designers sitting around talking about uh what's the best way to present all this and there's uh, personally it was i like i responded to it very well you know i love all the uh, typography and imagery that the Hillary campaign was putting out, but it feels inauthentic from a certain perspective because it's been overworked. It's been, you know, quote unquote, elite Washington elites have been looking at this and analyzing the efficacy of, of serifs to nuts to sans serifs or whatever. Um, so like, so kind of it, there's been an almost a rise of anti-design, which you could, uh, you know, I read a pretty good article that, um, says like the, the make America great again hat is basically the epitome of anti-design. It's just yeah. t times on a red hat. The, no one really thought about the design process there, but uh, it's become this, uh, an icon. I mean, it, it was one of the true icons of the, of the uh, 2016 cycle. And um, it's certainly grown larger than itself. So um, there's, there's something to be said about um, the, I mean, anti-design kind of sounds a little harsh, but something about like the not so polished, maybe a little bit uh, less cutting edge, a little less modern, um, going back to something like the skeuomorphism of the early 2000s um, that plays a little bit better with 
certain um, demographics. No, and I and I'm that's a really interesting statement that you made. Not a statement, but a, like idea that you you floated out there. Um, because too, as a designer, I was. I had a crush on the on the the Hillary team for what everything that they did for the you know the websites for other like little micro sites they did. I thought they mm-hmm. were, I loved them. Like I said, they yeah. were just simply stunning for me as a designer. But I never thought about how did the general public feel about that and how did they approach it. And I bring up like I think some of like the best political posters through history are not the well super polished ones. They're like the super like crappy like thrown together like this is we need to get a message out and i i keep like going back to the the main one from the vietnam era question where they simply is just a photo and i i can't remember the the military camp the campaign that they were doing but essentially it was just a picture of the slaughter of a village with a big q and babies a colon yes babies i mean it was yeah it was just <laughs> yeah didn't, wow. it wasn't pretty but it was the most powerful like poster i've ever seen come out of the you know like that era of stuff and unfortunately that stupid hat <laughs> fits into that same kind of iconic simple quick throw it out there and it sticks with you yeah i mean certainly when the message has staying power you know we, I, I don't know. I'd like to say from the flip side, you know, no design will will really help a bad message succeed. True. Um, and but from the other side of things, you know, uh, really bad. If the message is so good, you know, design will it'll be hard to bring it down, um, you know, or it will succeed in spite of bad design, I suppose is a better way to say that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I, I mean, I still think good design will can elevate it even further. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't mean it will completely uh, kill the idea. Yeah. So what kind of user... This actually is a good lead-in about then. So what kind of user research do you do when you create your sites? Um, is it something that the client brings to you? Um, you know, like, if it, for example, if um, Greg Orman, the, who was running for U.S. Senate in Kansas... Did he bring the research to you and saying, hey, this is what I think my demographic is or? So it's a combination yeah. of things. It's, it's um, you know, we always we have a uh, questionnaire that we present our our clients um, in this whole in our whole onboarding process. Um, and so it's a combination of, of them um, bringing in basically what their audi- what they think their audience is, what they think audience they want to reach. Um, basically in, in, you know, your, your sort of, um, traditional, uh, marketing demographics like 18 to 25 or 18 to 40 and that kind of thing. Um, and sort of, uh, and their various interests. Uh, and that's important for both, uh, from a design perspective and from a, um, marketing and advertising targeting perspective. Um, cause it's, it's, you know, that's all good for you know, finding the keywords to, to target, um, Facebook ads and, and other ads and that kind of thing. Um, so it's a combination of the, the client coming in with their own, um, audience and then, uh, you know, us doing our own research through, um, I mean, really just very, any kind of various methods. Um, if we have, um, contacts that we know that work, you know, it's a, 
pretty small political world here, so um, <laughs> everyone knows somebody that's worked somewhere. Um, and, you know, just doing uh, research on uh, various websites and that kind of thing, just to get a better sense of, um, you know, the kinds of needs uh, for the, you know, local community or however big it is. And there's a few differences between doing the the preliminary research for organizations versus candidates and the size of an organization also makes a really big difference. Um, oftentimes if we come in and it's it's a political campaign and they've already done you know one round of polling, they've already had a poll out on the field, um, we can get a much better idea of who their audience is and what are the top three issues that they care about um, and, and work from there. And that's, you know, I'm sure that influences the design. I don't want to say it definitely does because Mike's the creative director yeah. and I am <laughs> not a design person. Um, but that definitely influences the content and, um, you know, what, what we present online. Um, and for organizations, you know, sometimes the smaller ones don't have the money to put polls out on the field or to have focus groups. Um, so a lot of that is more us learning about the supporters that they currently have. And sometimes that's through ads um, and, and targeting that way and then learning a bit more about their um, their support base. Um, and then other times they, you know, will have a very varied audience um, and and give us as much information as they have about their own audience. And then we kind of continue to do our own research there. Uh, Marnie, I want to ask a I I wanted to ask it earlier, but I, I put it off. But can you define what digit what you said that there's like a design process and there's a digital strategy process? Um, can you just talk a little bit more about what digital strategy is, or put it into context for us? Yeah. So in so like I mentioned earlier, Veracity is a, a hybrid <laughs> um, agency, and so sometimes we. Folk, like maybe we'll have a client and all that we're doing is digital strategy consulting for them. And what that means is, you know, auditing, the, it starts usually with an audit of everything that they are doing online from all of their social media accounts to online fundraising to their email campaigns to their website um, and figuring out what is working, what most of their supporters are engaging with, you know, what things is falling off the radar um, and putting together kind of a larger picture strategy for how they should be engaging their supporters, you know, which audiences they should start to target if they aren't already, um, and plans to do that, which includes, you know, content for social media. It includes a really big design piece as well. Sometimes, you know, a rebrand is something that we suggest. Um, um, and it includes sometimes a new website, social media help, online ads. So, Anything that is front-facing online for an organization to try to gain more supporters and engage their current supporters, because usually, you know, that's kind of the thing that um, is the common thread between all of our clients is that they have a, a group of supporters that they want to engage online to either reach some social good or to get elected. Um, so the digital strategy or the digital strategist is the person who kind of looks at all of this big picture stuff, you know, often works with Mike and the, the design team mm -hmm. um, to kind of create this digital strategy so that they can be heard when there are so many people talking about either the same issue or trying to get elected to the same office. Um, so we try to give them that digital edge. Um, how that works with a design project or a website development project is the digital strategist um, 
kind of has two roles. One is a project manager. So they're the, the one who works with the client is the point of contact with the client to get all of the, you know, the, the information from the client. Um, we keep them updated, make sure that our design team and developers have everything that they need um, for when they start their part of the project of, if it's a website build. Um, but then they're also involved in a lot of that is translating <laughs> between our developers and designers and clients. And especially, you know, if it's a, a political campaign and the candidate is involved, that often requires a lot, you know, turning design or development speak into layman's terms. Um, so it's, it's really kind of playing a mediator and convincing if one of the, the hardest things, I think, especially with political candidates, since, you know, everything is about their image really online. Um, and, and their main messages. So they feel very protective over that, which makes a lot of sense. But sometimes that creates issues when we suggest that they, you know, achieve one goal by doing one thing on a website, but they're convinced that they need something else, which is just like a totally terrible decision for the user experience. Um, and so in, in that case, it's the, the digital strategists who, and with Mike's help, um, usually push them back and try to explain why you know maybe what how we can reach that goal through a different design or different messaging um so the digital that's why i, I kind of called them a, a mediator for website projects because it's mm -hmm. it's not always the easiest to convince people that um that they don't necessarily know what is the best design or what is the best to get uh a new supporter to give their email or to sign up to volunteer. Um, so we work to figure out those user flows. Um, and, and to, yeah, to put it another way, it's, uh, you know, oftentimes people will ask for one thing, but really it's another that will actually serve the goal that they're trying to achieve. Uh, so it's, um, you know, figuring out that balance. Um, one quick follow up on the, uh, the, you know, being a design strategist, what kind of training? I mean, is there are there college? I, I'm I'm aware of it, and I'm. It's not like I'm unaware, but is there any kind of like specific training for this that exists, or are you just finding like people that are just like naturally have figured out how to do this for digital strategists? Yeah, yeah. So there are definitely now there are courses. There's a lot of certificate programs on like social media marketing, digital marketing. Um, and that's usually how, how the, the more formal courses are, um, marketed. <laughs> okay. Um, and, but those often focus, unless you are going to somewhere like, you know, George Mason or something where really everyone is there because they want to work in DC. Um, <laughs> it's, it's normally more corporate digital marketing, B2B marketing. Um, so usually what we look for is someone who has, um, experience working on a digital team on campaigns um, or for nonprofits because that's when you really it's it's less about selling something and more about you know marketing an idea um, so there's there are some formal training programs but that's mm -hmm. you know that's not like a prerequisite of of joining our team or really any campaign or nonprofit um, who who's hiring for a digital strategist um, or a digital communications director or something that's often what it's also called. Um, so, so there are some formal programs, but a lot of it is, is more understanding the campaign culture, nonprofit culture, understanding how, how your supporters think. And a lot of that is just kind of being immersed in this world for a bit rather than taking a course on 
how people think. Yeah. Um, Kateri- and actually, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Uh, I wanted to, to jump in and go back to something Marnie said about just like the, the digital strategist role, mm-hmm. just because I feel like this isn't said enough in, um, you know, to, to some of the design circles. I, personally, I think it's something that's um, massively important um, to the to the entire process. Just something, someone who's who's with me, uh, you know, who's the main client point of contact, so I don't have to worry about um, you know keeping somebody happy just as a person, as well as you know creating great design deliverables. Um, so I mean, that's kind of one of the differences with freelancing is that you, you kind of have to function as both roles. Um, but I, I really love um, just the, the freedom that um, having a project manager allows you and, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of and, and um, you know, keep you heading in the right direction. Um, so it's, you know, I, I, I don't hear it enough because, you know, often a lot of designers have it have egos and be like, no, I, I know exactly how to do everything the right way. Um, but I, in my opinion, I think it's a very critical and helpful role. Um, can either of you kind of describe, so the way you des- described digital strategists, I, I, I see how it's different than user experience design, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's also a lot of similarities, or yeah. at least I see them, perceive them. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that's probably actually one of the other hats that I personally wear is the user experience designer, um, which is, you know, not so much pixel pushing and, and colors as it is, um, you know, information uh, architecture and, and user flow and kind of hierarchy kind of things. Um, and so, yeah, and those positions are where I work, uh, where that's, or sorry, that's the area where I work most closely with the um, digital strategist because um, they typically have a, you know, as the person who's been talking to the client this whole time, they have a, a bit, bit better sense of uh, their goals and what exactly they're looking for, um, even if it's not concretely, it's, if it's like an idea that's hard to put into words. Um, so, it, you know, it's that kind of... Um, to put it to put a real life example, you know, it's it's usually we have, we'll have like these long wireframing sessions of uh, me and the point person or the strategist, and um, and you know we'll sit down and figure out exactly uh, the the order of the uh, the homepage sections and and how many top nav items there should be and um, you know what should uh, what the call to action should be on the hero versus in the nav versus um, you know, halfway down the page, um, and um, and the client wants this one specific feature, and how do we implement that on an interior page, or do we do it dynamically through JavaScript or that kind of thing? Um, and and so that's um, where the uh, where the bulk of those uh, UX kind of questions come in, and so it is very much a um, a process, a, a um, collaboration with. Uh, the strategists and the designers to get there. All right. So um, at Veracity Media, you uh, you also created a a website for the Know Your um, Title know your IX. Nine. Know Your Nine. Yeah. Okay. And it's an so it's basically an organization that empowers students to like and inform them about schools 
and they're how they're legally required to respond and remedy hostile education environments, um, which could range from a different, uh, you know, a, a broad scope of things. So can you talk about that Know Your Nine project um, from just from the initial client meeting, you know, from initial client meeting to, you know, project, you know, final product launch, like, and, and cover things like what type of user, user research was done prior to designing and, you know, cover like how do design strategists, designers and developers all work together on something like that. Yeah. yeah, so first off, uh, Marty, I'll let you jump in right here. But just to clarify, so for Know Your Nine, we did the uh, a rebrand, so a new logo and new identity package there, and then a um, website refresh that was based on one of our WordPress themes, but it has, you know, all of those have a, a decent amount of custom work into it as well. So a logo and a website. Yeah, and so for, for Know Your Nine, I think I mentioned this earlier, one of... Um, I try to have as many kind of women's empowerment initiatives as um, as clients because that's something that I I am very passionate about and a lot of our team and so Know Your Nine um, they basically help educate students about their legal rights um, to safe education free from gender based harms um, it's you know I just need to put this little plug in that it is more than girls can have a sports team and a lot of people don't know that um, so so Know Your Nine was. Um, on our radar for a while just because we're a pretty young team. Um, Know Your Nine is involved in a lot of campuses across the country um, and had seen that their website was um, not the greatest. Um, and their, their, one of their main goals is to get folks to come to their boot camps on different campuses um, and get them to reach out to legislatures and also to educate them. So there are so many different goals of this organization. Um, you know, and good goals. So notice that on their website, it's very unclear what they actually want people to do. Um, so, so we reached out to them about a, a new website and met with them. And this is actually a good example of how our developers and digital strategists and designers work together. Our first meeting with them, um, it was, I brought along our developer to talk to them more about, um, kind of the user flow and, um, and just get a better idea of what exactly they were looking for in their website. Because at first we weren't sure, this is also a big part of our work, is figuring out what type of website um, and what level of website fits best for different clients. Um, so that's why in those conversations, those early conversations, we often include a designer or a developer so that we make sure that, you know, what the type of website that we're creating for them is really going to meet their goals. Um, so so that, that initial meeting was figuring that out, learning more about their audience. Um, they have a very pretty, pretty clear audience since they target um, folks in the later years of high school and in college. Um, so, you know, targeting there is pretty simple, um, especially if, if they were to do ads, it would be pretty simple because you could target college campuses. Um, but so, so that discussion was originally just about a website and then um, I'm pretty sure that I kind of looped Mike in and we realized that they need a new logo too to kind of, um, they needed an update. If their audience was young millennial college students, um, it needed to be a little bit more modern of, a, of, of branding and something that since they do a lot of, you know, on the ground activities, something that they can put on all of their, their training um, pamphlets and, and posters. So, so that is, that's where the, the design element kind of came in there and, and Mike's input at the very beginning of the project led to us also doing the, the rebrand. 
Um, so that's kind of how the the very beginning conversations started. I'll let you, Mike, kind of hop into the the designs part. Sure. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that actually really excited me about this project. Um, so I don't know. There's probably you know one of the message. A lot of this. Sorry. Uh, one of the things that Know Your Nine actually said to us was, "Look, we." We, we acknowledge that this is a, you know, an, an emotional and touchy subject, uh, and this is, you know, a very um, trying time f- uh, for a lot of people, but basically the attitude of the organization is like, this is, um, this is a really unfortunate situation, but there are real tools out there, there are real solutions, um, so we're just having a, a very, um, you know, positive and they actually said like kind of edgy and, and rad radical face to this organization just being more of a like, hey, let's get this done. Um, but there are real solutions out there. Uh, so that was a really exciting kind of uh, perspective and attitude to it all. You know, it wasn't kind of sappy and, and, and um, or any kind of like, um, you know, overly emotional um, attitude so it was it was very and also the other thing was that that they were um adamant about it not being gendered you know this obviously this um sexual violence happens uh more to women than to men but it was they didn't want it to uh come off as like this is a a girls organization you know no one is um barred from from learning about their rights and and uh receiving the protections that they're um entitled to um so so from that you know that was a great um i felt very welcomed by that perspective and something i I totally agree with um so that was a really cool um way and i think that that led a lot of the different design decisions like the um the really kind of edginess of the the sans serif um typeface that i chose for the main uh, word mark and the um, which was uh, radical, um, I forget the, the foundry on that, but it's like this combination of Gotham and Futura. That's that's one of my favorite fonts late, uh, typefaces lately, and uh, so the, just the kind of overall edginess um, that they wanted to um, keep and grow um, really determined a lot of the things. So they had, they had already had a sort of black and red color scheme. Um, so I wanted to, that, that, was, that was working really well. Uh, one of the images that we saw early on was um, one of the things that they had done was um, they had people tape um, red IXs, red nines to their grad graduation caps. Um, and it was this awesome photo of like a whole group of people that had it. Um, and it was, you know, cool enough and kind of, um, it, it piqued people's curiosity. So the, the point was for people to go like, what's that IX mean? And then that's where you start the conversation. Um, and so that was something I wanted to highlight and um, definitely allowed to grow. So I wanted to really um, double down on that, on the color scheme. Um, so that's where the, the really kind of, you know, bold red and black colors came from uh, and everything sort of circled around um, how they wanted to present themselves. Um, so it was a really fun process to to explore those areas, and the and the Know Your Nine organization. So that they cover. I mean, so I I should have said in the beginning. I mean, sexual. It seems like sexual assault is the main 
um, not the main. F- I'll let you say because you worked with them, but it seems like it's there's more to that. It's like you know, in addition to the sexual assault, there's also like, you know, a bullying because um, it does happen on college campuses. Like people are afraid to you know come to class, and it, so it covers all of that kind of stuff too. Correct. Yes. Uh, so uh, the the way they self describe themselves is you know it's an organization that aims to empower students to end sexual and dating violence in their schools. Okay. Um, so, you know, they're always, it's, it's not obviously just limited to physical violence. You know, there's a lot of, um, intimidation, like you said, that, that it's all sort of, um, <laughs> rolled into what's considered sexual assault. So, you know, it's very all related. Um, but it's, it's, you know, empowering students and, and, and educating them about what their, you know, legal rights are and, um, what, um, what the avenue is for if those rights have been violated. Yeah, I guess that was a, a better way to ask my question is that there is a broader scope that their that their legal rights are. That there's a broader scope to what they're they're covered under their legal rights. I guess that was a better way to say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Marnie, you would agree with that, right? Yes. Yeah. So anyway, the reason I was bringing that up is just because I think, quite frankly, I'm a, I'm a college professor i knew nothing about this <laughs> i mean i knew about the you know the, the sexual assault on campus but i knew i didn't know about like the know your nine organization and i'm just kind of like a little ashamed of myself that i didn't so i just wanted to talk about it a little you know just hopefully other educators will like oh yes absolutely yes. Spread, spread the word because i mean their target audience and the, the folks that they're really talking to are students um, but a huge part of that is letting students know what the the education system and what their university's responsibilities are and the actions that they are required to take um, so there are also you know they also provide resources on if your university is not taking these actions that they um are required to, what do you do next? So it's a lot of, you know, it's, it's all actions that people can take after they have, um, you know, been exposed to some sort of gender-based discrimination, um, but also provides resources for educators and folks who are supporting the people who have gone through one of these experiences. So it's, it's um, a much broader, you know, scope than just people who have, have been a victim of, of sexual assault on campus. Um, right. They provide a lot of great resources. Yeah, actually, one of the specific things that I like is they have uh, a guide for journalists on on how to um, report on it, and also a guide for you know families and friends of victims and and how they should be you know how how to act really because it's a it's a difficult time for everybody involved. Um, so it's um, there's a lot of good resources that they have. Yep, and um, I'll put the uh, is the site live. It is not yet live, um, but the uh, new site is definitely, um, it should be live within the next week, actually. Um, but, but one of the, the big things that we spent a lot of time doing was figuring out how to make all of these resources a lot clearer, um, making sure that things weren't redundant across the site, um, and so that folks who were looking for a specific resource could find that easily. So that was one of the big kind of um, hurdles that, that we jumped at the beginning of the project was totally redoing their site map. Um, so that's another thing that, that I think is, is probably part of the, the UX kind of design bit, but was really important for their, um, for their new site. Right. Because right, so one of the things that always seems to happen is it's, they have, it's a great 
organization that has a phenomenal list of resources and there's usually it's usually a, a overwhelming list of resources just because there's so many that they've accrued over time so you know it's you we try to steer away from just having a a one page that has just a list of links um, because that's no one can really scan that easily it's it's just not good from a UX perspective uh, so it's figuring out how to to uh, organize that and um, you know through acts like card sorting and other UX things to, to make it all logical and make it make sense oh, okay so great and once the site goes live I will make sure that we put the uh, the link to the site in the um, in the show notes so everybody can go visit it all right so we're getting close on time so before I let the both of you go um, is there anything that either of you are working on personally that you would like to share or, or talk about? Um, I would just say that personally, my my passion is getting more women elected to office. Um, I know we've talked about Know Your Nine, which is not actually doing that, but sort of in the same vein, but working with organizations like um, Vote Run Lead, She Should Run, Representation 2020, and working with a lot of um, women candidates is is kind of my passion area and something that I strive to do more and more of, not just through veracity, but lending my time outside of that and volunteering on, on campaigns. Um, I think that now more than ever, that is becoming more and more important. So f personally finding more ways to, to contribute to those organizations and candidates is, is something that I look to do. And that at veracity, um, is a great place to do it because we do get to work with so many awesome organizations and, um, and we do a lot of things like hosting events and trainings with um, some of those other organizations that I mentioned, like She Should Run and Vote Run Lead, to kind of build that new bench of talent from, from the ground up. So that's, that's my, my passion area and, and why I enjoy working at Veracity, because I get to work with a lot of those, those organizations. Can you, can you talk a little bit like, so you said, correct me if I'm wrong, did you say workshop or you like, you know, like, do training or you talk to like organizations like she should run or consult with can you like say can you give an example of what you what you do yeah so for example um we have had a few kind of workshop training conference events up in in new york city with vote run lead which is an organization that recruits women and also trains them um, when they are running for office so everything from the digital strategy side of things to fundraising to hiring your campaign staff um so we've teamed up with them and sponsored a few of those events um, and contributed on the digital strategy side. So when they do the trainings, there's a lot of breakout sessions and usually someone from, from the Veracity team would lead that and kind of what do you need to know at the beginning when you're starting your campaign? What do you need to have set up? You need, you know, what social media accounts do you need to reach your audience? Um, what type of website will you need? Just everything from the online messaging to the actual infrastructure of everything that you, of, of your website. Um, so we've we've teamed up with Vote Run Lead a few times to to do that, um, and and also with She Should Run, um, which is another organization that's DC based that um, kind of focuses on a younger age group and is trying to change the culture and let young girls know that you can actually run for office. Um, they just did a a partnership with Barbie where they had a, a Barbie president and vice president um, dolls that was like a package duo and they were both women. Um, so, so working with clients like that and helping them promote those, those initiatives um, is something that, that we do and love, love to do. Fantastic. I, I love that. Um, it's fantastic. I love that you're doing that. Those are great ways to help. Um, 
so anything else, um, Mike, did you want to add or? I mean, I would certainly, I would certainly echo all of that. I mean, that's, that's one of the great parts about veracity is, is being able to work on stuff that you care about. And, um, and it really makes, you know, when it's (laughs) something you, you personally want to succeed, uh, it makes the entire process that much smoother and that much, um, you know, more enjoyable and, and usually easier too, when you're like, uh, it's just quicker to come up with things and, and it's just better for everybody. So it's, it's really exciting to be able to, to do that kind of thing. Okay. So that's all we have time for today on episode 41 of design EDU today. I want to thank today's guests, Marnie and Mike for being so generous with their time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor Fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases, you can follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like the Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through the Twitter or the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today. Today.